16 kilometers from Trivandrum, Kerala, stands the small coastal town of Virinyam. On a recent Sunday afternoon, the town's seaport welcomed its first vessel. A massive heavy-load cargo carrier named Xinhua 15 from the East China Sea. It was a momentous occasion. And why not? The port, located in India's southernmost tip, had finally opened up after a wait of more than 30 years. Planned since 1991, Virinium isn't just any seaport. It's a deep-water container transshipment port that can actually put India on the global maritime map as a shipping hub. A port that is naturally deeper than any in the country and so is able to handle bigger vessels than any Indian port has done yet. A port that is closer than any other to the international shipping route, which makes it an ideal cargo hub for big shipping lines that have until now docked at neighboring ports such as Colombo, Salala in Oman, Singapore and Dubai. It can rev up India's woeful status in the global shipping world and it can boost the country's foreign reserves. The company tasked with making this possible is the king of India's ports, the Adani Group. Virinium's opening was a rare piece of good news for the ports-to-power conglomerate, which has courted copious amounts of controversy this year. Allegations of stock price manipulation, leading to a huge erosion of investor faith, leading to billions of dollars lost in market value. Virinium is Adani Port's toughest project yet. It's also critical to its ambition of becoming the world's biggest port operator by 2030. So, what is a transshipment port and why is it so critical? How does one successfully run such a port? Why has India been unsuccessful in running a transshipment port yet? What can Adani do that others haven't been able to? And how will this project help its ambitions to rule the global port sector? All that and more in today's episode about one of the most challenging infrastructure projects in the country and its operator. It's Tuesday, the 24th of October. I'm your host, Anirban Chaudhary, and this is The Morning Brief. Before understanding Virinium and its contours, it's critical to understand where our ports and shipping industry stands now. Shipping lines in India currently handle less than 2% of all trade in the world. India has 13 major and more than 200 non-major ports along its 7,500-kilometer coastline, but they handle a very small percentage of global cargo. Containerized cargo, which is pushing global trade now and which Virinium will handle, is growing at the same rate as India's GDP. But India's container capacity is minuscule. In fact, it's less than a 14th of China's. India handled 11 million TEUs or 20-foot equivalent units of containerized cargo in the financial year 2023. Of that, 3 million TEUs of India-bound containerized cargo were transshipped to other ports whose names I mentioned a while back. That's Colombo, Singapore, Port Klang in Malaysia, Salala, and Dubai. Of that, Colombo alone handled 2.5 million TEUs. What does this diversion mean? A loss of $100 per TEU 
in transshipment costs or a total of $300 million every single year. But first, let's get into the basics of transshipment port operations. Here's Jagan Narayan Padmanabhan, Head of Transport at Ratings Agency, Crisil. Mr. Padmanabhan, how is a transshipment port different from other ports? So let's take for by example and explain this. So what is a transshipment port and the other one is called as a gateway port. So basically these are the two ways in which you could look at it. A transshipment port, take an example of Colombo. So if the cargo is originating from Tamil Nadu or the southern part of the country, the destination is in Europe or the US. Generally, that is where the products get. So it's an exempt rate. Instead of going directly, it will go to Colombo or Singapore. So Colombo will get traffic from either India, Bhutan, Bangladesh, all the neighboring countries, you know, Indonesia and other places where it gets accumulated. Then a mothership comes in and takes these containers and goes to the final destination. And hence, Colombo becomes a transshipment place. The difference of this to the other one would be a gateway terminal, where it would mean that the origin and the destination, there is no intermittent stoppage. The origin and destination is directly connected, and hence it becomes a gateway port. So there are other gateway ports in India as well, like JNBA or for that matter, Mundra. These are all called as gateway ports. Okay, understood. So how does the transshipment port operate? What are the economics like and how does it make money? So transshipment port just operates on volumes. So this is like a wholesaler and a distributor put across in a very understanding manner. So in a layman's language, if I had to put it, it is a wholesaler and distributor. The transshipment guy is a wholesale guy. So he operates on volumes and hence the ability to charge additional is very limited. And also there is no movement which happens inside the country. There is no need for any kind of an interconnectivity in terms of the road or the rail which needs to get to the port. So the cost of that associated infrastructure are very limited. And hence the number of people who are needed at the port becomes limited, which gets reflected in the tariffs that they are able to charge or the ability for them to charge also becomes limited to that extent. All of this adds into the mathematics of the working of the port, you got a transshipment port, and you have vapor thin margins there. So they operate by just volumes. And what ensures the success of a transshipment port? So I think one important point is in terms of the cargo potential, right? And hence, you can have probably one, at best two locations in which you could have a transshipment port in India. So the, hence the need to place your bets appropriately and develop a particular location makes a lot more sense. The other important one in terms of, of a transshipment port to be successful, it has to be have a deep draft. So these location-specific aspects are very important. And the other one is also to have partnership with these large global shipping lines, which will then dictate the success of a transshipment port. The Viridium port does seem to have most of these ingredients for success. Like I said, it's got a 20-meter natural depth which allows it to handle bigger mother vessels. This without spending on dredging to artificially deepen the port which is an onerous, expensive practice which would have impacted its margins. It's also 10 to 12 kilometers away from the main international shipping route 
and that would attract major shipping lines towards it without them having to spend extra on bunker costs. In short, the Virinium port is expected to achieve what India's first transshipment port, the ICTT Vallarpadam, hasn't quite managed to, primarily as it's not blessed with Virinium's natural draft. But the port hasn't been an easy project at all. For 24 years since it was first envisaged, successive governments in Kerala tried to build it unsuccessfully. Then, in 2015, Congress MP from Kerala Shashi Tharoor met Gautam Adani on a flight. He asked him to bid for the project. Adani Ports bid and eventually won. Gautam Adani announced he would finish the project in a thousand days. But his plans were waylaid by tough construction challenges. Then, a case was filed against the project by the National Green Tribunal. Local fishermen protested against it, saying it would lead to sea erosion on one side and accretion or sand deposits on another, both of which would impact fishing and their livelihoods. The church, which has deep ties with the fisher folk, opposed it too. But the Adanis have a way of solving these problems. The challenges were overcome. According to reports, the NGT panel blamed the erosion and accretion on cyclones, not the port. Meanwhile, the fishing community was spoken to and convinced, as was the parish. So now, the port will begin commercial operations by March 2024. Gautam Adani spots an opportunity. He moves with alarming speed to consummate that uh, transaction. He just takes a leap in faith and then moves at breakneck speed. And, you know, you know given his, the way he deals with things, his finances and things like that, he's very aggressive that way. That's my colleague P. Manoj, editor shipping at ET Infra. It's this aggression that Manoj spoke about that has brought Adani's port business from a captive mover of its coal in the 2000s to being the industry leader now. Adani Ports now handles a fourth of the country's shipped cargo. Anirvan, Adani is present in every Indian coastal state. If you look at right from West Bengal to Odisha, to Andhra Pradesh, to Tamil Nadu, to Kerala, to Maharashtra, to Gujarat, they are present in virtually every Indian coastal state. So that means they control a huge hinterland. Hinterland means the cargo generation and destination area. The benefit of having that kind of a large network of ports is that you can play around with the customers. So that gives them leverage over pricing, over customers. And since they have a whole lot of other activities also in the supply chain, like railway container trains, warehousing, grain silos, and inland container depots, all these comes into play for a customer who might be looking at a one-stop solution. Secondly, they went and tied up with big container shipping lines because, you know, these are the lines that brings volume. So without them, getting volumes is difficult. So they went ahead, signed JVs with container lines like MSC and CMA, CGM. Third is, you know, if you look at, you know, Adani's 580 million ton capacity, hardly 5% is coming from the major ports. That is the ports owned by the government. The rest of all are from the private ports like Mundra, Kattupalli, Dhamra, because that gives them large capacity, unlike major ports where they are operating only individual terminals with limited capacity. So private ports have got huge land banks. They have massive capacity because they are new generation ports with new construction technologies. 
and they don't have legacy issues uh, that normally accompanies investment in major ports and things like that. So this is the kind of reach that they have, the reach and the diversity, an entire Indian coastline that they have, and the entire supply chain they are present in. So that gives them a huge control. Correct. Now, Manoj, let's talk about the Adani's latest project, the Virinium port. What does it mean to Adani ports? Adani's portfolio all along never had a transshipment port in its portfolio. This is going to add an extra feather to his cap. And internationally, it is very important because in shipping, as you know, lines go by the windows in a terminal or in a port that is allotted to them by the port operators. The more number of ports and terminals that you have globally, it gives the port operators the flexibility to offer the lines a window in one port, say, for instance, in Colombo, and then tell them that, look, if you want a window in Colombo, you need to come to Virinium, or if you want a window in Virinium, you need to go to Haifa. It's a private port where, you know, they have the freedom and the flexibility to do the pricing. So we are in a very sweet spot because this is a perfect recipe for transshipment. So from Adani's perspective, this transshipment port is very important to be able to have that leverage with the shipping lines, which is very important as he goes forward in his pursuit of becoming the world's largest port operator by 2030. Here's Karan Adani himself talking to reporters before he inaugurated the port earlier this month. When we go to 2030 and our aspiration is to be the largest port, this will play a very critical role because this acts as a catalyst to all our development across India and also gives us a strategic foothold when we are negotiating with our shipping lines on a global scale. Total investment is 7,700 crores for uh, phase one. Our full master plan is we will be able to develop and operate 4 million TU of capacity. So just to give you an idea, right now what we are commissioning is 1 million TU. As soon as this phase is over, we will be starting phase two immediately. And how much would be the total investment to take it to whole MTP? 4 million TU would be what? Uh, Another 11,000 crores. Yeah, so total investment would be 20,000 crores for the full port. Hmm, that's a lot of money. And as we know, transshipment ports charge lower tariffs than gateway ports. So Manoj, would that be a challenge in making money, in making profits, and in recovering the investment? So transshipment always is a low income game. So amount that they get is less compared to gateway traffic, right? Because, you know, they have the storage charges, they have got a lot of other charges that accrue to them. But here what happens is that, you know, because, you know, it's got a natural deep draft and it requires very negligible maintenance. So they can play around with the rates. They are in a in the best position to offer the most competitive vessel-related charges, which is the critical factor here when it comes to attracting shipping lines. Indian ports are typically very high in vessel-related charges because as I, you know, the dredging cost, the port dues, the berth hire, pilotage, and all are bundled into the vessel-related charges. So that is higher in other Indian major ports. But in this case, they are getting 1,600 crores of viability gap funding. The Kerala government is also putting money. So Adani doesn't have to recover some of these investments. Yes, and even the port contract is designed favorably for pricing, right? Yes, typically in a port contract, the revenue shares or the royalty starts kicking in when they start operations. In this case, there is a moratorium on royalty for the first 15 years. 
Okay, first 15 years, they don't have to pay any money to the state government. From the 16th year onwards, there will be a revenue share of 1%, which increases by another 1%, you know, over the course of the concession. So for 15 years, they don't have to pay anything, which again is a big factor in their ability to price the vessel-related charges competitively. So they can very well offer competitive marine charges, that is the vessel-related charges vis-a-vis Colombo, which is the already immediate competitor. Right. One thing I wanted to ask you, Manoj, Adani Ports has 12 projects in India now and 14 if you count its two global projects. Do you think there is a concern on Adani's growing monopoly in India's domestic port sector? It is a very valid concern that, you know, Adani now holds 580 million tons of capacity, whereas I think major ports have somewhere close to 1,000 million tons. Major ports mean government-owned ports. So in India, there is this paradox where there is a government-owned major ports, 12 of them, and then Adani also got 12 ports in their portfolio. So globally, I think, you know, the threshold when you talk about monopoly is about 40% of the total market. Then you come within the scrutiny of the competition or the antitrust regulators. Now, Adani has got, I think, 25-26% amongst the Indian ports, I mean, pan-India basis. But having said that, even today, there are cases where they have tried to flex their muscles given their dominant position in sporadic cases, which has uh, triggered a lot of angst among very different players in the segments. Of the five Indian ports that have the capability to dock Cape-sized vessels, I think four of them are under the Adani umbrella. So Adani, after they bought Gangavaram, they, they issued a circular saying, you have to come to our port and fully unload the cargo. You cannot do that in other ports. So that created a lot of fans. So slowly, I think, you know, once they reach a certain position, they are bound to flex their muscles, which I think it's a job of the antitrust regulator to take cognizance of that, basis the complaint. Okay, that's domestic. Now let's come to global. Where is Adani right now in its ambitions to become the number one port operator globally? Having set a target of handling 1 billion tons by 2030, and it is in that year that they aim to become the world's largest port operator by 2030. So right now they are at the capacity of 580 million, out of which they have actually handled 339.2 million. Now to reach from 339 to reach 1 billion is quite a task. They need to have a capacity of 1.3, 1.4, or 1.5 billion. Now to reach 1 billion ton capacity, and given the fact that you know India, there are no large-scale private ports available at the moment. He has to look outside for investments to acquire assets. There is no other way. And knowing Adani well and after having internally set up a target, I think he will leave no stone unturned to reach that target. Now, when you look outside, you also have to look at places which has links with India, which enables Indian trade, which has got a connect with the Indian import community, and maybe forms part of you know India Middle East European corridor that was announced in the G20 summit. So if it connects, you know, along the way, some of them then he might be interested in, you know, having a foot in those ports. So as Karan Adani said the other day. I would say outside India, as you know, our focus area has been in South Asia, in East Africa and on the Mediterranean side. Uh, as I said, we keep looking at uh, opportunities where if we are able to find a strong partner, again, politically stable countries and uh, also an established asset. We, we are not too keen on a 
greenfield or a greenfield sort of development in these countries as we enter. We would look at more of acquisition, brownfield or an acqui or a lot of these places still government still runs all the ports. So there is a lot of privatization which happens. So we would participating in the privatization. Okay. We're evaluating a lot of countries. We are evaluating Vietnam. We are evaluating uh, Kenya. We are evaluating Tanzania, but nothing, nothing. Okay. nothing and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, Anirban, that, you know, uh, apart from that, he might also have to look at some of the global players who have that kind of a capacity in terms of acquiring them. For instance, let's take DP World or a PSA or an APMT or other Hutchison Port Holdings or somebody like that who have got large capacity. I mean, he can now tie up with somebody like Abu Dhabi Investment Authority or somebody like that. It's a win-win for everybody because they have got the money and the, he has got the operational capabilities and he also has got the financial resources. So I wouldn't be surprised if Adani looked at it something like this. See, how did uh, DP World acquire P&O ports a few years ago? DP World acquired P&O ports, which was running globally a lot of ports and terminals. That's how DP World became a major port operator. So Adani can also replicate that strategy, right? Right, right. But Manoj, on the contrary, could its plans be waylaid by the pressures that it's facing in terms of regaining investor confidence, uh, a lot of which was eroded by the Hindenburg allegations earlier this year? I mean, Adani is making a lot of debt prepayments, right? And in that process, it also plans to sell some of its assets. Do you think it will have to sell some assets in its ports business as well? I don't think so that, you know, they will be under pressure to let go of some of the assets in the port sector. Because as Karan Adani said the other day, APSC said it's a free cash flow generating company. We we generate every year roughly seven to 8,000 crores of free cash flow. And this is after doing finishing all the acquisition, this is after paying interest and after doing all your capex. And that can be used to uh, repay the debt that the company has on its books. I mean, that is what he said about, you know, by the end of March next year, we will be repaying this much amount of debt. We've already prepaid uh, 120 million and then another 190 million we have already prepaid. And we are very confident that by January, February, we will prepay the full 650. So that balance amount will also be prepaid. And that was a part of our commitment at the start of the year, which we had committed that our net debt position will be below, will be close to 2.5. Maybe they can get an investor like they have done in the other portfolio companies. They can get in an investor by offloading a few 2-3% stake. But I don't think they will be under pressure to offload assets per se because, you know, they are having, as we discussed earlier, they are having most of the greenfield ports. And they have very few terminals in the major port sector. Uh, most of them are very strategic in nature. And I, I don't think Adani is even considering to let go of that because all these are strategic assets in his goal to become the world's largest. If he let go of some of these capacities, you know, he will be falling backwards in reaching that aim of you know handling 1 billion tons and becoming the world's largest operator by 2030. And do you think it can become the world's largest port operator by 2030? 
I think uh, Anirban on a very conservative estimate. I mean, 2030 would be a little far-fetched because, you know, we have got another, what, seven years to go because 580 to uh, and to handle from 339 to handle 1 billion by 2030 between now and 2037 years, I think it is slightly difficult for them. So I will give them another five years up to 2035. I think he should be able to reach there by 2035. Before that, Adani has to make his latest project a success. Thousands of years ago, the Viridium port under the powerful Ai dynasty used to be a hub for global trade. Whether or not the Adanis return it to that status remains to be seen. The port itself will shoulder the dual responsibility of making India a global maritime hub and bolstering Adani Group's ambition of becoming a global port's leader. Neither will be easy. A lot will depend on partnerships, product and pricing. And politics. With the upcoming elections, Adani will hope that no change in governments impacts the favourable contracts and agreements it's been enjoying on its current port projects, including Virinyam. Meanwhile, the government has put on fast track its plans to build another transshipment port at the Galatia Bay on the Nicobar Islands. The project is being planned at a cost of a whooping 65 to 85,000 crore rupees. A host of private players have shown interest in that project. It remains to be seen if this too goes to Adani Ports. Adani Ports has in the meantime opened an office in Dubai and placed its best lieutenant, Captain Sandeep Mehta, there to steer overseas acquisitions. In May, the Vietnam government welcomed what it called Adani's planned $3 billion investment in Vietnam's Lien Chu port and renewable energy projects. The Kenya Port Authority is keen to privatize its main port and, if sources are to be believed, give it to Adani. There is also a buzz around a project in Greece. All of this, how the Virinium port shapes up, whether India's port sector finally moves up in global reckoning, and how its biggest ports operator spreads its reach in the world will be interesting themes in the coming months. That's all for today. You are listening to this episode on The Morning Brief, the official podcast of The Economic Times. This episode was produced by Surohini Jain and sound designed by Rajas Naik. Executive producers Arjit Barman, Anupriya Nair and myself. A fresh new episode of The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday on a listening platform of your choice. Keep listening. This is your host, Anirban Chaudhary, wishing you a good week ahead. Thank you.